0: Every gift, every good and perfect thing is from God. He is the source of all truth, beauty, and blessing, wherever they are found. And when we really start to look through the lens of gratitude, we see these gifts everywhere, all the time. So, in this season of Advent, let us see, receive, and respond to the gifts of the season, the gifts Jesus still offers, light, joy, freedom, and peace. Well, good morning and welcome once again to Element Church, Tampa. My name is Benjamin, one of your pastors here, along with Pastor Melody. And is there a more beautiful and appropriate worship song than God with us during the Advent season? He is the with us God. He's not far off. He's here. He's here now. So, I have a question for you this morning. If you could give someone a present that they had always wanted, I mean, the one thing that they have always wanted, or you could give them freedom, then which would you choose to give? Let me be more specific. Let's say uh, you could give them a present they'd always wanted or you could give them freedom from whatever addiction or whatever sin they're ensnared in or whatever despair or whatever lies they've agreed with, which would you choose to give? And to flip it around, imagine an extravagant gift you'd love to receive. I don't know. Maybe it's a boat. Maybe you want to travel to Italy. Whatever it is, the most extravagant Wonderful thing you've always wanted. Maybe it's a PS, Xbox 3000, or whatever all those things are called. Now imagine instead someone said, but I can give you the gift of freedom from all your sins, from your addictions, from your shame, from your guilt, from your self-absorption. What would we choose? Now, I would... (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I just heard... um, a wonderful child of ours down front, say, that's really hard. Um, Right. Well, exactly right. Uh, But as much as we like to make our loved one's dreams come true at this time of year especially, I I think we would choose the freedom if we stopped and thought about it for just a second. I think we choose the freedom from what plagues them, from what troubles their minds and their hearts, so that they could start to be Fully who God made them to be. Because I think that deep down, church, I think deep down we know that freedom, true freedom is what we long for. It's what we long for, for ourselves and for our families and for our cities. Freedom is what we lost in the Garden of Eden, right? Their sin gave way to suffering and toil and lies but church i have good news this morning in fact i have the best news of all the news that I, that that i could have this morning jesus came to this planet to free it is that true you can say yes you can say amen you can say see si, señor whatever you want to say jesus came to this planet to free it, to free us to walk with Him again, unashamed, intimate, and liberated. And freedom is the gift of Advent that we explore today from Isaiah chapter 9. So, speaking of the gifts of Advent from Isaiah chapter 9, who can remember the first gift that we looked at from Isaiah chapter 9 a couple of weeks ago? What was the first gift? You can say it. Light. Very good. And the second gift from last week we talked about was joy, light and joy. So let's go to our anchor text in Isaiah chapter 9. Remember Isaiah, when he's prophesying, he's usually talking about the right, right then and there. And it's usually also talking about what was to come, right? So back to Isaiah 9, the... Anchor text for our series, starting in verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. And now for today's verses, verse 4. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. So as the light has dawned for Israel and their joy overflowed, why was that? Because they had been made free, because they had been liberated. Okay, there's so much beauty to mine out of this, so let's do this. Okay, verse 4, they'd been liberated. And verse 4 says, for as in the day of Midian's defeat. That's a specific reference, isn't it? A very specific reference. What are we talking about here? That would have made sense to the Hebrew reader. Well, back in Judges 6 and 7, we learned that the land of Midian to the southeast of Israel had been just harassing the nation. It was, it was really bad. Listen to this from Judges 6. And this will give you the story of what was going on with Midian. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years and the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. They're, they're in hiding. Uh, verse 3. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza. And leave no sustenance in Israel, and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock in their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. This is what comes to mind For the Hebrew mind, when they read, as in the day of Midian's defeat, that's how bad it was. They were plundering the cattle and crops so that Israel had nothing left. The people had to eat out a living in caves and hiding. They were brought very low, as it said. But God sent an angel to a young man. Do you know who that young man was? And here's a hint it rhymes with Midian. You can say it. Gideon, that's right. And if you know the story from here, uh, it's pretty incredible. Here's an epic recap for you. So Gideon is the weakest son of his father from the weakest tribe of the nation, right? And at this point, he also has, let's be honest, kind of weak faith um, if you read the story. So Gideon, uh, but he does obey God. He does assemble an army to rise up against the Midianites. 30,000 troops to go to battle. But God puts them through a series of trials to reduce that number down to just 300. And those 300 men proceed to stand above the camp of the enemy who numbered into thousands or tens of thousands. They lit their torches. They blew the trumpets. They yelled at the top of their lungs. And it caused the enemies down below in the camp to absolutely panic. They panicked so much, so hard, that they started fighting amongst themselves and killing each other, and they fled. So, back to verse 4. When Isaiah writes, for as in the days of Midian's defeat, that is what he was talking about. That kind of conflict the kind where an enemy has, has seemed to ravage your plans and take your pre- preparations and your provisions, the kind that has people hiding in caves, not knowing what to do. Does any of that sound familiar? Does that sound applicable to us today? But as he does so often, God doesn't, just allow the obvious and mighty solution to bring them to freedom. He chooses the weakest guy from the weakest tribe, narrows the troops down to 300, and doesn't even have them use their weapons. They didn't even fight. This is why Isaiah writes the next line, For in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yokes that burden them. It's like God wants to liberate us, but he wants to do it in a way that's going to grow our faith at the same time. He wants to deliver us in a way that requires trust. In a way that we know that it was by his hand and by his grace that he brought us to freedom. Where is it that you need freedom right now? What is it that you need freedom from? And what, like Isaiah, could you look back and remember to remind you of how God has freed you before? Some of us today need to say, but as in the days of Midian's defeat, we need to say, but as in the days when I was lost. But as in the days when I was depressed. But as in the days when I was self-absorbed. But as in the days when I was overcome by guilt or one day, but as in the days when you delivered us from that virus thing that caused disruption and division and despair, as in those days when you delivered me to freedom, God, you will shatter the yoke that burdens me even now. We'll put this one on the screen. So when we look back at God's faithfulness, we begin to remember that we can look forward with trust. And somebody in here needed that word this morning. When we look back at God's faithfulness, we begin to remember that we can look forward with trust. Look at the rest of verse 4. You have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. All these things, yokes and bars and rods yokes and bars and rods, oh my, are tools of subjugation, I had to, and oppression. And if you recall from earlier, kids, we talked about yokes, remember that? With the oxen and the piece that you put over the oxen so that they can pull a plow or a cart or something like that. And a bar across the shoulders or a rod of an oppressor, these things were meant to punish and to keep someone captive. To keep someone not free. So what happens, according to verse 4, what happens to the yokes and bars and rods, oh my? What's the word they use? Say it. What happens? Shattered. That's right. Shattered. That's an important word. Let's talk about it. When I was a kid, we spent a lot of time at church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then whatever else was going on. And uh, we were always socializing in the lobby or the gymnasium or the parking lot or wherever, right? So one night, we're standing around uh, our car in the parking lot, talking with other families. And you know how the grown-ups just blah, 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 and they keep talking, and the kids are like, I thought we were leaving. Um, so uh, the door of the car was already open. Now, this car was was old, even for the 90s, Okay. This was a 1972 Buick LeSabre, Buick LeSabre, there, there it is. Um, and it was greenish gold and it was awesomely embarrassing. Um, it had a nickname, the nickname was La Bomba Verde, which if your Spanish is rusty means the green bomb. Uh, It was named that by a traveling Mexican preacher named Homer. And I do realize how weird of a sentence that is, but it is true. It's completely true. Anyway, with a car that old, when the door is open, there's nothing over the top of the window. You know what I'm saying? There's no frame of the door over the window. It's just the window, right? It's just the glass, the window. And that's how they used to do it. So I was tossing a rock up in the air. I'm sure you don't know where this is going. I was tossing a rock up in the air like boys do, and the rock got away from me and landed perfectly on the top of that window of the open door. And I promise you, one inch to the left or right, it wouldn't have shattered, but it, I found the one spot that it would shatter the window and it completely shattered, disintegrated into hundreds of pieces. Now, there are those moments in our childhood when we know that whatever damage we have done is irreversible and unfixable, and as a result, our lives are over. You know those moments of absolute terror? This was one of those moments because I knew that the window could not be repaired. It was shattered into a thousand pieces. Now, back to verse four, the yokes, the bars, the rods have been shattered, shattered. And like that car window, you cannot repair a rod that has been shattered, cracked or broken in half, maybe. But when things are shattered, they're useless, they're done. Nevermore to be a tool of torture or subjugation. And church, if those tools have been shattered, the yoke, the bar, and the rod, then they can no longer keep us from being free anymore. They're shattered. That's the kind of freedom Isaiah was prophesying about. And that's the kind of freedom that Jesus has come to bring to those who would receive it. Now, Does this mean that we will never struggle with the things that have kept us enslaved before? No, it doesn't. Most of you know about my experience and some of my story with depression and anxiety from a few years ago. Now, just because I came out of that season into a rebirth and and healing in my own life and a reconstruction of what was deconstructed, does that mean I still don't struggle with mental health and anxiety? and No, because I do. But what it does mean is that when I struggle or when you struggle, what is ultimately needed is to agree with the truth that the tools and implements that take our freedom have been shattered. We are free of them when we agree with the truth that we are free of them. We're free of them when we agree with the truth that they've been shattered. Here's another one for the screen. We don't have to live toward a place of victory when we've been freed to live from a place of victory. Again, we don't have to live toward a place of victory when we've been freed to live from a place of victory. Verse 5. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. In the modern classic 1994 film Forrest Gump, um, Forrest finds himself in Vietnam, the Vietnam War. He's a soldier. And he and his bestest good friend, um, Bubba, they go to Vietnam. They meet their commanding officer, Lieutenant Dan, right? And Lieutenant Dan is giving them the rundown of life in Vietnam, what to expect, what you should do and not do. But the most important piece of advice Lieutenant Dan has for Forrest and his bestest good friend, Bubba, is to take care of their feet. Right, take care of your feet, keep them dry. And change your socks every time we stop, he says. And World War I, a horrible illness that was caused by exposure uh, to cold and wet over days and days and weeks uh, to people's feet. It's called trench foot, right? And uh, the foot would just start to rot. I'm sorry, Pastor Melody. Where, there you are. I'm so sorry. Um, but it's true, trench foot sidelined thousands and thousands of, of soldiers in World War One. Some of them lost toes. In fact, we have some pictures of trench foot. Shannon, don't. Just, <laughs> somebody fan Pastor Melody. Very tranquilizer dart. Okay. Uh, my point, keeping your feet protected and healthy, it is of the utmost importance to a combat soldier. You can't do much fighting if you can't walk or stand or run. But in this verse, verse 5, the warrior's boot is burned. Let me ask you a question. What do we burn? Do we burn things that we'd like to keep? Do we burn things that we need? We burn things that we don't need. So when Isaiah writes that the warrior's boot and the garments will be used for fuel for the fire, it's because those things will not be needed anymore. You with me? Because those things won't be needed anymore. Because the fight for freedom is over. Like with Gideon and the Midianites, God's won it already, you see. We've already been made free so we can burn the weapons of war and burn the bloody warrior's garment." There's a word in, in there in the Hebrew, it's kind of weird about the, the boots, and it says that the noise, the noise of their boots. And it refers to the clamor, right, the clamor of battle, the noise of the armor and the running and the footfalls and all of that clamor and noise will be no more because those things are to be burned. This reminds me um, of another one of Isaiah's prophecies from chapter 2, which will sound familiar probably to you. This is about, ultimately, the coming of shalom into this world, when the world is made new. Let's take a look at Isaiah 2. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, verse 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain and the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. How beautiful is that, church? All the nations shall flow to it. Three, and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways that we may walk in his paths. That's shalom when everybody says that together, right? Okay. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Verse 4, here you go. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Amen. Does that sound good? Does that sound like Shalom? Does that sound like the freedom that Jesus came to this earth to institute? Let's connect the dots. Say with. Me. As we say up here all the time, inner transformation is never just for us. It's so that we can go and spark transformation in others, right? To put it in familiar language, when we vision up to look to God, we vision in to look like God so that we can vision out to look with God. The point is this. The personal freedom we receive from Jesus doesn't stop at liberating us from our personal sins and pain and struggles, because that freedom is the same freedom that is coming for the whole world when the kingdom of heaven comes to earth, when shalom is the law of the land. When Jesus came to this planet as a human being, he instituted the kingdom of God on earth. And in the same way, we institute outposts of the kingdom of God in our communities When we receive the freedom Jesus came to give us. Can you imagine how divinely strange it looks to the community when there's someone who lives like the tools that keep them enslaved to fear and compulsion and sin have been shattered? Someone who burns up their weapons of war in a world at conflict with itself? Probably it looked just as divinely strange as the savior of the world being born out of wedlock to a teenage virgin in the stink and the straw of a stable. And that savior of the world's mission was to bring freedom. So let's hear from Jesus himself about this. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus was just about to start his ministry when he was drawn out into the desert to be tempted by the liar by satan after that he made his way back to his hometown back to the synagogue back to his hometown church in nazareth and this is how he kicks off he inaugurates the kingdom of god on this planet luke chapter 4 starting in verse 16 he went to nazareth where he had been brought up and on the sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Pause. He found the place where it is written. This was on purpose. This wasn't like, what's a ninth verse for today? Here's one. He found the place where it is written. 18. He's quoting Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me, To proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began saying to them, today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Yeah, it was. Are you with me? Did you catch that? This is how Jesus starts the kingdom of God on this earth by quoting that. Proclaim good news to the poor. Proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight to the blind. Set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There's another word we have for that, and it's grace. And he sat down. My friends, Jesus is still proclaiming freedom for prisoners and setting the oppressed free. And like the people in the Nazarene synagogue that day, we're still marveling at his gracious words with our eyes fixed on him, the words of liberation and the favor that he speaks over this planet. And we're reminded during this Advent season that we're invited to speak freedom to people that need us most, just like he came to do. That we are invited to join in the work of setting the captives free. To those who are crippled under the weight of guilt and shame, to those who are addicted, to those who are enslaved, figuratively, literally. But it starts, it starts With fully owning the freedom, Jesus came to bring you and me. So let's ask ourselves today, I'm being literal, we're really asking ourselves today a few questions that we can take with us. If you want to take a picture of the screen, you feel free to do that. So where in our lives do we need to welcome the freedom that Jesus came to bring because there's somewhere there's some place probably in each of us that we need to welcome the freedom Jesus came to bring and we need to own it as the truth in that place in our hearts another question what yokes and rods need to be shattered in you in your family, in the city? What yokes and rods need to be shattered? And how can we live freely so that we can join in Jesus' work of bringing freedom to those who are oppressed? Remember that phrase, divinely strange. When we live free, it is a divinely strange act. It is something that says there's something going on with that person. They don't walk around burdened and under a load of guilt and shame and addiction. What is that? Well, that's someone who has owned the freedom into every place and is working on owning that freedom into every place. That Jesus came to bring us. Let's pray. Band, you guys can come back up. Lord, thank you that you are the with us God, that you didn't just come to prove a point or start a kingdom that looked like the way we wanted it to. But you came to subvert it all, to upend it all, to teach us what it can really look like to receive the gifts of your coming, the gifts of light and joy and freedom and how those things usher in a peace, a true and lasting and deep peace. God, that is just a foretaste of the shalom that is to come. God, I pray that whatever it is that each of us needs to, to, to process from this, that we need to grapple with, that we need to talk about, that we need to pray about, that we need to learn from or be affirmed in, that, Holy Spirit, that you'll do that work, that we'll be open to that work, that this conversation will not end here, but begin here about what it can really look like to live free, to fully receive the gift of freedom. Freedom that Jesus came to bring us freedom within, freedom in the place that cannot be taken. It might be shaken, but it cannot be taken. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.